Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. We're going to get started here, and um, I'm Chris, one of the pastors here, and we are finishing a series over the next few weeks on the book of Second Peter. Last week we did the first half of the chapter, now we're going to do the second. I thought I would um, mention that it was a Super Bowl party that Tom will not be there because he inadvertently scheduled a flight to Colorado the same day and then realized later on. So I'm not sure who the play-by-play report person's going to be. Charlie said he didn't want to do it, but maybe Ellie would do it, and we'll probably have Austin do it. So anyway, it should be a lot of fun, and um, that'll be at at uh, Charlie's house. So you know where that's at. Anyway, why don't we uh, pray, and then we're going to read the first or the second verses here, um, or the second half verses together, and then we'll go from there. So Lord, today help us to glean from your word um, a good understanding of what you wanted to teach the people through Peter, and that we would be uh, equally as interested in what he had to say, and that you would bless our morning and, uh, and use this to bless our lives. Amen. Okay, so we're going to read verses 10 through 22, and um, I also want to thank Nathan Summers for editing my notes, and he helped out a little bit. So if it's really bad, we know who to talk to. If it's really good, me. <laughs> no, he did a, a good job of bringing out some things, so I wanted to mention that. So let's start out with verse 10, and I'm using the New American Standard translation in this, and um, so here he goes. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-will. Let me back up for a second. He was warning us against false prophets, and so he's Continuing on in that reign here um, about what they're like. So they're daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment before them or against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, Reviling when they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. 
For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. <clears throat> for it would be, um, excuse me, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having, to know, having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to the wallowing in the mire. Quite a bit to go through. And so we're going to do a little review here um, of what we talked about last week in reference to where we're going this week. And so I... Um, Looked up a little, looked up a little bit of history on um, the Roman Empire in the year 67 A.D., and it was not a good place to be. So what was going on in 67 was uh, one of the emperors. His name was Nero, and I think either he was insane or close to it, or suffering the effects of a venereal disease that his mind was starting to go. But he thought it would be fun to um, burn Rome and blame it down the road on Christians. And he was having so much fun doing this. And so let's back up a little bit. The world, as we saw last week, and we see even in some of the scripture here, didn't have any rules. I mean, it was just crazy. And there was, I mean, there were some rules in different cultures, but the wicked people were just wicked. And they were uh, not having the same culture that we're all used to. And so we don't want to define what they're doing through our lens, but try to get back to what their lens was. Well, all the people that were affected by Nero and all the Romans that lost their lives or their property, um, it affected them differently than Nero. He was laughing through the whole thing. And then he blamed it on Christians, and that's when um, there was a uh, basic martyrdom of many people, uh, including, I think at this time, was Paul and Peter, died as a result of what Nero started in Rome. And so all this was going on in the, this is, Peter writing a little before this actually happened, but this is the climate of the day in Rome. And it was a man leading who had no fear of God, no love of his people. He was just all about himself, and he thought it would be fun to burn a city. It sounds crazy, but that's what happened. And the results were really tough on the Christians. And then um, so we have that going on, and then while that was going on, Peter was warning against false leaders or false prophets coming up from the Christian um, world, trying to lead people astray. And what was going on there is that behind all of this was the devil, Satan, 
who was basically excited about killing people, about destroying things, and he's the author of all this. So don't just go blaming Nero. Blame the guy who was Nero's hero or whatever. I mean, the devil was influencing here. And so um, Peter, though, to the church was going, okay, false prophets are going to rise, but it's up to you guys to be aware of who they are and to be um, away from them. So last week we looked at some cults that were around and some false leaders. And one of the reasons there are false leaders that rise up in Christianity is, um, well, this is my theory. If I was the devil, I would find some Christians that were not accountable to anybody else. I would give them some good gifts, especially in speaking, and then they would gather a whole group of people and have a big following, and then I'd pull the rug out from this guy because he maybe was involved in immorality. And all the people there would feel terrible because they had been following a, a wrong leader. And then they and others outside would look at this and they would malign every Christian and just say, well, they're just out for sex or greed. And so be careful in a large group thing. If the leader is not in an accountability system with others that's guarding his personal life, because you don't become a Christian because you're a good person. You become a Christian because you have sin that needs to be forgiven, you want eternal life, and you've got issues in your life. And then as time goes on, if you're involved with a church that is helping you grow and be accountable, you're in a good place. But if you're in a church that doesn't have accountability or doesn't expect growth, then some of your past issues are going to carry on, and we need to be really guarded so that unbelievers don't malign the way of truth. And they'll be quick to jump on anything that happens that way. So when I was in Chicago um, years ago as a pastor there, we had one church <clears throat> over, kind of overarching many because it was so, so big. And in that area, everybody said wonderful things about this church over and over. My doctor went there, and, and, um, and as years went by, this, the guy was a great speaker. People loved him. But then it ended up that he was not in accountability. He was messing around with his secretary or executive leader, and it just kind of crushed everybody's hearts that had been a part of this, that they had been deceived by this guy. And so we want to be really careful. Um, This was in my world up there, and I saw it going, I go, wow, um, this could happen to anybody. That's why we need to be careful. Okay. Different false prophets will use greed, um, the desire for power, of sensuality, to lead others away. So they all have this within themselves to some extent, but so do we all. We have different issues that we uh, want to be involved in, or be, um, and so it's easy if the leader says, "Oh, it's okay to do this." Well, that was going on in. Um, this period of time. And um, so read sometime the book of Revelation. Look at the chapter, 
chapters on some of the early churches, and they were allowing adultery to go on in the church, and it was never, they never called it. And that's one thing we want to be careful about, is that we guard against sin, and that we're careful um, to be accountable to one another in areas we might be weak. And then the last part is God rescues the unbelievers. He did it with Noah. <clears throat> he did it with Lot, and he, he is careful to, to guard those. So anyway, um, we need to examine not only the person's message, what their gospel message is, because a lot of times it's off, and we need to examine their lives. Do you know what's going on behind the scenes? And one of the things I use, Fred and I laugh at this word, but it's called fruit. <laughs> and if you have a leader that <clears throat> doesn't have good fruit, why? And one of the things I look at, and I'm kind of strong on, is that what does the leader's kids do? Do they follow the footprint of the, the dad, or do they not? Usually, if they see truth being followed at home, and there's uh, a good example, they're going to look around in the world and go, wow, uh, I don't see anything better. And so then they're open for the Lord to minister to their hearts, and they'll, they'll uh, attach themselves to the same cause. But if all the kids walk and go somewhere else, I go, okay, why is that happening? And it just may be that the dad has bad people skills and he doesn't take care of his kids, or they see stuff in his life that others um, don't. And so look at the kids, see what they do. And that's kind of a really helpful thing. And, um, and I'll probably continue to hammer on that a little bit uh, because I think kids are really important. And, um, and that we want them to have their own faith. Okay, we're going to move along here. We've got about 10 minutes left or more. And um, so describing the evil workers here, <clears throat> corrupt desires. So their desires are not in accordance with what's right. They despise authority. They're daring and self-willed. And they have no reverence towards God. I'm not even going to comment on those because I've got too much to talk about. So we're going to look at the next slide, uh, what to look for in their motives. So no reverence towards God. And so they'll have um, sensual desires, which probably everybody alive has sensual desires. I, I think so. Now, I'm not going to be 100% because maybe somebody doesn't. But most people do. And it says, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. So this is what happens if some of them go over the edge and do things inappropriate in, in relation to their marriage or in relation to society. All the people that see that will just go, well, I don't want to be a part of a Christian world that allows people to be like this. And they'll malign the faith. <clears throat> These guys will have eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. So this isn't a Christian example in a church, but how many of you remember the vice president under Trump? Somebody does. Andrew, he's our political consultant today, and that would be Pence. 
right? Yeah. Where was he from? Indiana. Oh, my goodness, that's great. But one of the things the non-Christian world used to make fun of him for, there was quite a few things, but one of the things was that he would never, when he went on a trip, um, stay alone, but he would bring his wife with him, or maybe a staffer. Why? Because he knew he was probably stable in his thinking, but the, but the political world is not. And sometimes they'll pay someone to come over and seduce somebody else. And he wanted to make sure his wife was there as a guard against that, because he, he knew what the world was like, and they made fun of him. But who's a guy that you would trust with marriage? Well, trust him. I wouldn't, well, let's not get into alternative views, but he was a good example of that, that he brought his wife along, and, and that was just part of his life. I think that's a, a good example. And so we have to be careful, um, not only if there's physical things going on in sensuality, but even emotional. And a lot of leaders have gone into emotional relationships with the opposite sex, and it's destroyed them. And I know of at least two in some of my circles from the past where they destroyed their churches, and they lost their ability to be a pastor because they went over the edge emotionally and were sharing things that with one another that they shouldn't. And so we need to be guarded on that and we need to be in accountability so that we're, we're guarded about that. Okay, here's one that Tom shared a thought with me uh, is the word carouse. <clears throat> They're in your midst. So suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime, they are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And I read this and I go, really? <laughs> These guys are carousing in the church? And the whole group of others in the church was carousing with them? And I thought, what kind of church was this? <laughs> you know? And I just can't imagine that happening here, you know, seeing Fred carousing, I think that's about the last thing Fred would ever do. And it, I just was uh, opposite of what I thought. And then Fred says, or Thomas told me, well, what about Corinth? They were told that they couldn't get drunk at the breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper, which pretty much says that they were before that. And he was letting them know that there was Behavior that might be appropriate in their culture, but it wasn't appropriate in the church. And so carouse means drunken revelry. And I don't think they had a lot of access to drugs like nowadays, but they had access to alcohol. And one of the things that they would do is get drunk, and then they'd go crazy during church. <laughs> kind of attitude that we can just let it go and do whatever we want. But I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that um, drunken revelry was happening in the church. And I don't know if I've ever heard of anything in the modern day that, where that's allowed or practiced. Probably because people read First Peter and they said, hey, can't do that anymore. So anyway, watch out for that. Um, <clears throat> okay, going on. Uh, greediness is the lust of wealth uh, or lust for wealth and, and riches. So I, when I'm kind of 
examining and or I guess I could use the word judging leaders about who I might follow, I look at their cars, I look at their house, and if it's out of the realm of normalcy for their particular town or suburb, then I go, okay, why has this guy got a better house than anybody else in his town, but he keeps asking them for money? That's one thing I look out for. Um, you don't want to be 100% on that because maybe he got it from his parents or something like that. We want to be careful. But it's an indicator. And then if he's got a better car than most people do, then you're wondering, okay, why? And you want to watch what he does with what he has. And is it an example to the whole flock? Is it in keeping with what his flock, um, which is his church, is, is like? Because if he's doing everything greater than they are, somehow he has to either justify that by saying, well, God wants me to be rich, and he wants you to be too, but you don't give enough money to get rich, and it just becomes a vicious circle. I don't see Jesus doing that. He never told people to get him a better car. Joke there. Okay, you should have edited that thought for me. <laughs> and and Jesus lived a pretty simple life. Paul did, and so we have to look at guys that don't and go. Do we want them leading us? Um, and then the last position is high positions of power. <clears throat> so most of the world has this thing that we need to climb the corporate ladder. Well, for Christians, I think you need to climb down the corporate ladder because Jesus said that the leaders that he looks to would be servants of all. And you can look that up. We don't have time to go through all that, but Jesus brought a whole new paradigm in that he wants his leaders to serve people to help them out. doesn't mean you grovel around the floor and do every little thing people want. It means that you try to help them in their Christian life, help them become successful in following Jesus Christ. And so my little phrase lately is there's always room at the bottom, meaning the bottom of a ladder, because everybody else is jumping up the ladder and stepping on people's hands and on the rungs, but nobody's doing that at the bottom. But you can help others in that and have a servant heart so some people want to lord it over you and be your master or boss but that isn't the way god wants things to be first peter 5 talks about that not to lord it over them and so we want to be careful okay following the way of balaam is an example that's written here so the the context of this is israel had left the promised or left egypt hung around for 40 years in the wilderness, started to go into the promised land, and the nations around were not happy. And I think um, we need to kind of look at this word, which they didn't use, called genocide. But the Israelites wiped out whole nations or cities that practiced all kinds of unrighteousness, and God had previously done that with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he brings up this example of a prophet who was known to the area, and his name was Balaam. So Balaam was sitting around at home one day, and uh, I, I'm off the scripture here. I'm just making this up. He's sitting around 
playing Parcheesi with one of his servants, and and um, this guy comes up, pretty rich-looking guy with a bunch of servants, and says, my king wants to hire you, and we'll give you everything you want. And Balaam says, oh, that sounds pretty good. And, you know, get a get some money out of the deal. <clears throat> so Balaam was going to go to this king, and the king's name was Balak, and he um, he wanted Balaam to curse Israel. And so here's um, what he said. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So he, the, the king knew that. And then he goes on. Um, I'll, go, I'll read these verses. Forsaking the right way, they, took, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So it's not a simple story, but God told, um, told Balaam here, hey, don't, um, don't go. And as he went, he's riding on his little donkey. And um, the donkey rubbed against this post and then tried to knock him against the side because an angel of the Lord was there to stop him. The donkey could see it, but Balaam couldn't. And the, the story goes on that Balaam wanted the money and he was willing to curse someone. But it was a little bit convoluted in all this. You can read it. But the idea here is greed motivated him to be listening to King um, Balak, who wanted him to curse Israel because if he didn't, King Balak knew his country would be destroyed along with all the rest of them. And it's an interesting story about listening to God, and as uh, Balaam should have, and it's an interesting story of how greed changed a person's perspective. And so you can dig into that a little bit more, um, not to be a follower of Balaam. Okay, <clears throat> 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again engaged or entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So here's these guys that have seesawed a little bit in their faith, and they've understood a lot of stuff, and they rejected it. Well, if they've rejected it, what do they have left in this world that supersedes Jesus. There's, there's nobody. And so if they've rejected Jesus, um, it's real hard to find anything to replace him. And so I'm not going to go into what this means as far as their eternal life. Were they Christians in the first place? You could read the, so the sower and the seed and the four different soil types and get equally confused. But the idea here is that if somebody rejects Jesus, they are not going to be able to uh, do any better. There's no no one better than him. And so we're going to um, get done here. And so um, false prophets are actively pursuing you. And you are not some superstar that they're all just going, oh, he's a superstar, I'm not going to mess with him. And they're after you, and they will try to entice you through sensuality, greed, or desire for power, 
or D, which is anything else you want to add to it. And you are a target for the evil one. And so being careful means that you spend a little time examining some of the areas in your life because if you're going to make any kind of progress in this life, you've got to pick your team. You've got to pick your, your crowd. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so choosing who you're going to be with is really important. Um, I used to swim for Iowa State for a short time, and then um, I didn't pursue it because I wanted to be a big star. I already had some reality checks in my life. But I wanted to be on a team that had a good coach, that I could learn stuff. Because if you really want to go further in life, you have to be on the right team to help pull you along. And so be careful not to get on a bad team that is going to pull you away from things. Um, your job is to test and examine profits to see what the values in their life are. And then at the end here, it talks about being enslaved. Um, and a lot of times we go to certain things in our life for pleasure, to cover up the things that are displeasurable. And so we add things in to make us feel good. And so you have all kinds of things that you could choose, but what are you enslaved by? And so some people are enslaved by alcohol. Some are enslaved by smoking. Um, some are enslaved by um, pornography. Some are enslaved by actual sex. Some are enslaved by the pursuit of money uh, or power. And all, all that they do is focused on these areas that feed their, their addiction because that's where their heart is at. They want these things. And so removing those is a hard thing. There are so many people that give their life in, in adulthood to try to quit smoking, try to quit all these other areas, and it's super hard because underneath it is is pain that is not resolved, and this is there to cover it. So we might talk more about that in the future, but one of the things to help expose our addictions is, the last thing here, is um, being in an accountability group. So yesterday, a few of us got together for three hours, and we talked about what do we want to be accountable for and reminded of. I think reminder groups is a good name, uh, or awareness, so that areas I want to grow in, someone's asking me, how you doing with that area? And are you making progress? And so that's something we're going to introduce here soon, <laughs> a month or two, what these look like in our church. And so that we can all be in a group that meets all our specific needs. Um, and it would be helpful if in the future you want to be a leader you've already been in an accountability group and you just have already worked on this stuff and, and people are aware of what's going on in your life and asking you hard questions. And it puts the rest of us in a safe place if we know that you're in a safe place. And it makes us really excited. So we're going to look at that a little bit more. And then, um, anyway, um, I guess that's the conclusion. <laughs> we're going to... Uh,
Go ahead and pray, and then if you have questions, ask Tom or Fred. Um, so, Lord, we want to thank you that in Peter's talk here, we can be very aware that we're um, going to be the target, that there are false prophets looking to malign the faith, and that we don't want to align ourselves with people that are against you and just for themselves. And so I pray that today you'd help us to be careful, to want to be accountable in some of our areas of need and in a safe place, and that you would bless the rest of our day and uh, help Austin as he announces uh, the game, that it would be done well. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.